Welcome to The Scoop, an informational podcast for graduate students in the College of Music at Michigan State University. My name is Susan Hoekstra, graduate advisor, and I'm your host. Today we are talking about a topic important for our doctoral students, comprehensive exams. We welcome Michael Callahan, Associate Professor of Music Theory and Chair of the Theory Area, and Kem Prouty, Associate Professor of Musicology and Chair of the Musicology Area. Gentlemen, welcome to our very first episode. Glad to be here. Hi. Good to be here, Susan. So let's dive right into our topic by reviewing some of the details regarding the exam. First of all, doctoral students who need to take the comprehensive exams in music theory and musicology are all DMA performance students, including DMA and collaborative piano, DMA composition students, Keep in mind that composition students will also have to take an exam in composition given by their area. DMA and conducting. Conducting students should also contact their applied teacher about the two additional exams they would need to take related to the student's area of conducting. Remember, musicology requirements for all these students including two courses at the 8 or 900 level. For theory, there are three courses at the 8 or 900 level. Students at their, who have completed their master's degree at MSU only need to take two theory courses during the DMA. This does not include Music 830 or your electives. For those listening who are PhD students, PhD students, you do not need to take the comp exams in music theory and musicology, but you are required to take a comprehensive exam in music education. For more details on your requirements, please see page 18 of the MSU Graduate Handbook and consult with your academic advisor in the music education area. You can find the handbook online on the College of Music website under For Graduate Students. The exams are offered late in the fall, spring, and summer semesters. So let's talk about being eligible for the exams. A student becomes eligible to attempt each of the two exams when finished with, with or in the last semester of coursework in that area. For example, if you are taking your second musicology course this fall, you would be eligible to take the musicology exam this semester. If you are in the third course this semester, you will be eligible to take the theory exam. An eligible student may attempt either one or both parts on a given test date. To register. To register, you will receive an email announcing that registration is open. Registration includes sending me, Ms. Hookstra, your name, PID number, when you started your degree, and the courses and instructors you took. I will review your eligibility and send you a confirmation email. Students must pass their comprehensive exams within five years of the start of the degree. They should also be enrolled in at least one credit during the semester they take the exam, with the exception of the summer where you need to be enrolled in the previous spring or upcoming fall. So Professor Kalehan, Professor Proud, anything you wanted to add to to what we just talked about? Just, I would recommend that students take the exam as soon as they become eligible so that they can move promptly through the degree. The one caution is that because it's possible to take the exam during the last semester of coursework, uh, it's possible that they haven't encountered enough of the material in that course to be able to answer the question for that course. So that, that's a little bit luck of the draw, but certainly it makes sense to, to start early. And it also could delay their graduation if for some reason they don't pass. I agree. I completely agree with everything I just said. 
So good, now that we have that information, Donna, let's talk about how best to prepare for the test. Prof Professor Prouty, can you tell us, what can students expect on the musicology exam? Um, thanks, Susan. Well, the first thing I would uh, say to students preparing for the musicology exam is that uh, the format of the exam will consist of questions for every eight or nine hundred level musicology seminar that's been offered within the last five years. Uh, now, that, that does not include Music 830. We, that's a musicology class, but we don't consider that to be a musicology seminar for DMA degrees uh, in terms of musicology requirements. It's a separate requirement. Um, so when you get into the exam room and you take a look at the exam packet, you're going to notice there's going to be probably about two dozen questions, um, which raises the question of which questions should I address? And the answer to that is very simple. You will address the questions for the classes that you took. Um, and it is strongly recommended that you do so. Uh, answering questions for classes that you did not take is not something uh, that we recommend. <laughs> um, but as I noted, there, there will be questions for every seminar. We're very careful whenever we make up the exam uh, that we've included everything. Um, and you can write a maximum of two essays. Normally people take two classes. Sometimes people do take an additional third class as an elective. Um, but you can write two essays total. So that is, that's the basic overview. And this is entirely uh, written essays. You'll write everything right there. Um, answer sheets will be provided for you. You don't need to bring anything except something to write. Sounds good. So what's the best way for them to prepare? Uh, I think there are three things that I would mention. Uh, first is keep all of your course materials. Now, I know a lot of this stuff is digital. It's, it's easier now but particularly uh, the syllabus, the reading lists from your classes are going to be very important because you're wanna, gonna wanna make sure that you go through and do all those readings again. If there are articles that you read during the class, put them in a folder um, on your laptop or um, put them in a folder in your desk drawer and make sure you have those. Those will be really good resources. Also take notes during class and during class discussions, particularly if your professors are discussing the readings themselves, there are particular points that are emphasized. Oftentimes, those are going to be the things that we design questions for. And then lastly, talk to your, talk to your faculty members. Um, obviously, we're not going to tell you what the question is. Or we're not going to say, um, you know, sort of be too specific. But oftentimes, we can help you to kind of narrow down. We understand that oftentimes, these seminars can be very vast in terms of their content, and um, the, the questions are, are not generally designed to be sort of gotcha questions. We, we want people to demonstrate a knowledge of the topic, that you've retained something from the class, and that you have an ability to express it in written form. So that means if a, if a certain course is offered and two different individuals might teach it, Mm -hmm. They're going to get, if they took it, let's say, in fall of 17, they can get that question for that specific class, correct? Yes. Yeah, we will always make sure that the question for that semester is on there. Like, for example, if I were to be teaching a new seminar this fall, I would make sure that there was a question for that seminar on this fall's exam. Okay. Um, and that is something else to the idea of sort of maybe different people teaching different courses. We, we don't generally have a situation where, for example, somebody else would be teaching the jazz history seminar, although that has happened in the past, and sometimes people go on leave 
Um, normally what happens is we do seminars under different topics, and if I can digress just for a moment, <laughs> that's okay with the two of you. Of um, you know, musicology functions a little bit different from theory in that we only have a couple of course numbers that we use regularly. The most common one for DMA students is Music 992, and that's the generic seminar in musicology. And under that course number, there may be any number of topics that are offered. But even within some of the other course numbers, for example, uh, there's a Music 937 course number. So I teach my Ives Gershwin Copeland seminar under that course number. Dr. Bardig teaches uh, a class on um, music since World War II under that same course number. So that will be something that will be indicated on the exam sheet, um, the specific topics of the class. So make sure you know not just what course number you took, but what the actual topic of the seminar was. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be very important because that's what determines which questions you're going to answer. Excellent. So to pass an exam, what does the student have to do? Okay, so as I mentioned before, um, you can write up to two essays. You only need to receive a passing grade on one essay in order to pass the comprehensive exam in musicology. Now, the, the writing of essays, by its very nature, is always a bit subjective. But by, um, I, I think I can give you a little bit of a sense of what we're looking for. We're looking for essays that thoroughly and completely address the question as written. And so there will be some questions that you will see that have multiple parts. You know, discuss this, then this, then this. It's important that you get all of those parts in there. If somebody makes a, a specific reference to make sure you cite at least three representative works, make sure you cite at least three representative works, not two. Um, and things like that are, are very important. I just lost this one. Um, Probably the single most important thing is, is topicality. Make sure it is addressed in full and make sure it is addressed thoroughly. Um, there is no specific length requirement for comprehensive exam essays. Um, but generally speaking, um, if we give you, it, normally we give you two essay sheets per topic. So, it, you know, if I'm proctoring the exam, I'll hand you four essay sheets. If you write on one essay, I think normally if they are shorter than two full pages, it's usually going to be an indication that something might have been missed. Um, it's, I would say, think of it this way, um, a, a word count on one of these answer sheets that we're going to give you is probably equivalent to a word count uh, sheet in Microsoft Word, which double space is about 300 words per page. So I would say for each essay, you're probably looking at the equivalent of about five to 600 words. That's a rough estimate. But the most important thing is to be thorough. It's also important to be clear in terms of the writing. And, and while we understand that these are sort of written on the fly, we need to be able to assess them. We need to be able to actually read what's going on. And if there's problems with actually um, understanding what is being written, and I, I refer here both to sort of structure of writing but also legibility, um, it's really important to write so that people who are reading it can go through this and assess this in a relatively uh, quick time frame. Right. And of course, that's because of the extent, the extent of the exam. It takes a little while to review them and right. grade them. Yeah. So that's I, I, why it takes a little time to get the results back. Yeah. And I think normally we, we try to have everything wrapped up within a couple of weeks of the exam date. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. So. Professor Callahan, what can students expect on the theory exam? Students will have four and a half hours to work, 
and they may turn in up to three questions, which means that we design each question to take about 90 minutes. Uh, many students choose to put all their eggs in just two baskets and do two questions instead of three, but they need to pass two of them. So there's a, there's a little bit of choice to make in advance about whether you'd like to attempt three or instead spend more time on each of two questions. One way or the other, you, you need to pass two of them to pass the exam. There is a question for every music theory course at the 800 and 900 level. The only exceptions are where two courses are on the same topic as, as sort of beginning and advanced. So there are two tonal counterpoint classes, for example, 869 and 871. Those share a question because it's really the same set of skills at two levels. There are two Schenker courses that share a question, two keyboard skills courses that share a question, two instrumentation and orchestration courses that share a question. Um, and two music theory pedagogy courses that share one. But otherwise, any, any other theory course will have its own question. Occasionally, we have more than one instructor who teaches the same course, and one of two things happens in that case. If the instructors take similar enough approaches to teaching it, then they co-write a question that could serve students who took either version. If they take different enough approaches, then they write their own questions. Um, the latter is the case for for example, uh, the 20th century course, which is taught by Dr. Stroud and Dr. Sly, and they have different questions for those. In general, I would say that each question is designed to be synoptic, that is, um, to address the most important themes and skills that the course is, is really intended to address. So um, I would suggest that students look on the first couple of pages of the course syllabus and find the mm -hmm. section that says, at the end of this course, students will be able to do the following. What are the big themes or the big skills? That's what you'll be asked to do. And likewise, in preparing for a question, um, I, I don't think it serves students very well to obsess over small facts from the course, but instead to do the work that you were asked to do in the course. Go back to the assignments you were asked to do, especially the large projects that, that span several weeks. Um, and make sure that you could still do that work proficiently. Uh, depending on how long it's been since you took the course, I think it even would pay to go through and try to redo some of these things to make sure that you are fresh on the skills. Just as some samples, I think we've got basically three kinds of courses. There's skills courses like counterpoint or orchestration. The questions for those simply ask you to do those things. So write counterpoint or orchestrate a small passage of a piece. The second category is analysis courses. Uh, and for those, you'll be given a piece or sometimes a few passages from, from uh, shorter passages from pieces and be asked to say something about them or write something about them. Um, the third category are readings or research courses. And on whatever topic that, that deals with, you probably will be asked to summarize some important trends or perhaps respond to some large heading within that field um, by, by giving examples of authors who have made important contributions or who agree or disagree with each other. Um, we, we try really hard to make sure that somebody who learned what, what we mean for them to learn in a class has the skills that they need to answer the question successfully. So along those lines, as Dr. Prouty was saying, I think it also makes sense to talk with the instructor of that class 
um, who can help you to frame what the biggest ideas or most general skills are that are worth preparing for the question. Great, that's great information. Now, I have a question for you. Students who did their master's degrees here and then went on to their DMAs, they are only required to take two theory courses in their DMA because they took some of the courses in their um, master's program. So do you have any special tips for those individuals? It seems to me it might be the case for those students that it's been a few years since they took one of these classes. Mm -hmm. So it, maybe it's especially important that they go back and make sure they would still be competent to do the work that they were asked to do in the class. I mean, I, I really think I'll reiterate revisiting assignments is a good idea. But we will make sure that even if they took, for example, tonal forms three or four years back and as part of their master's degree, um, that the question still corresponds to the course as they took it. And they do, I mean, they do have the option of only answering two questions if they want, as anyone does, but your, your odds are better if you, if you answer the three. Yeah, and in, just in terms of tactics, we see students succeeding in both ways. We, okay. we see students okay. who spend four and a half hours divided in half and really spend a lot of time on each of two questions, do both of them well, and pass the exam by, by passing both of them. We also see students who instead try to spread out their time and take 90 minutes on each of three questions and pass two of them and not the third. And it's a sort of breadth versus depth strategy. I think it depends on the individual student. And the other thing to mention, too, is that even though we offer both the theory and musicology exam at the same time, a student can just opt to say, even if they're eligible that semester, they can say, I just want to take the theory exam this semester and take the musicology exam the next semester. So you don't have to do both exams in all day if you don't want to. You have that choice. It, as long as you're eligible to take either one of those exams, um, you're free to make that choice. Uh, I want to add something to go back to Dr. Callahan's comments and the discussion you're having about you know, counting coursework from previous degree. I'm sure that we have students in the program who are transfers and possibly from other DMA programs and may have had coursework that they wanted to have counted. It's important to understand that in order to successfully complete the comprehensive exam, you're going to have to have completed coursework here. Right. So even if you are interested in, say, transferring in a musicology course, it, it, you're going to be expected to take at least one course here in order to prepare you for the comprehensive exams because in musicology, uh, and I guess in theory as well, the exams are so specifically tailored to the courses we teach. Exactly. Um, yeah. And we can't write a comprehensive exam on a question that we didn't teach at another university. Yes. Um, it, it, it just won't work out that way. So transfer students um, who are coming from other DMA programs should be aware of that. Thank you for mentioning that. You know, one of the things I get from students a lot after I send out comp exam results is if they didn't pass, well, will I be able to get any feedback? Any thoughts on that? What, what we can't do in the theory area is show the actual exam to students and go through line by line what was strong and what was not. I think that's pretty typical of doctoral comprehensive exams across the board. But uh, we are certainly willing to meet with students and mentor them on how to prepare to be more successful the next time around. So a student can know, for example, whether he or she passed the specific question on tonal forms or on uh, counterpoint. And so in preparing to take the exam the next time around, it would be wise, of course, to focus their preparation on the, on the questions that they did not answer successfully the, the last time. Right. And in that case, 
I think uh, uh, it's probably if, if the study strategy didn't work the first time around, it's a good idea to change the strategy the second time around. And, and we're happy to have conversations to help students brainstorm about how best to use their time. Yeah, uh, d d ditto to everything that Dr. Callahan just said. And the only things I would add are, um, I think you're not going to get like a grade on your, your comp essay like you would in an essay in a seminar. And you're not going to sort of get it back with specific comments. Um, but if you did not pass the exam, uh, you know, you certainly are welcome to contact the faculty member. I, I would, uh, the first thing I'd do is I'd contact the faculty member that you took the, the course with um, to maybe just just talk about sort of what went wrong or, and, and more importantly, what are some things you can do in the future. Um, but I would also note that, uh, I, and I can only speak for musicology here, um, anytime an exam is uh, assessed as failing, it has been reviewed by every member of the musicology faculty. So there is no case in, in, a, in a family exam in which mm -hmm. one person That's or great. one faculty member has made that determination. Everybody looks at it and we would not issue a failing grade unless there is a consensus among all of the area faculty that that is the grade that was earned. In theory, we have a two reader system uh, where each question has a primary reader and a secondary reader. Uh, the, the sheer number of questions makes it impossible yeah. for everybody to read all of them, but we ensure that nobody fails a question unless both readers agree. Great. Now, what if a student doesn't pass and they are going to take it the next time it comes around? Can they expect a different question? Yes. Yeah, we normally yes. rotate questions. So I figured yes. just wanted to make yeah. sure everyone knew that. Yeah, but I will say, because students have come to me and asked about this, they say, well, the question's different next time, so I, I feel like the preparation I did the first time around is not going to be helpful. And that's not true. The, the questions in their details are different, but they address the same overall yeah. skills and, and topics the courses do. So I really think that, uh, like I said, if it didn't work the first time, don't do it again the second time. Change your study strategy, but don't feel that that's not money in the bank, what you did the first time. Yeah, yeah it really is. Yeah, I agree. Sounds good. And, and of course, everybody, these classes are to prepare you to pass. Everyone wants the best and wants you to succeed. Right. Of course. So, yeah. So you know, the best days for us are when everybody passes right. the exam. Right. That's what exactly. we want to happen. We, we have no <laughs> and desire. And for me to send out the results. <laughs> we have no desire to, to, to fail people. We, we want you to come through and finish your degrees and, and get on with your lives. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And, you know, one, a couple things to mention. The comps have to be passed before you can actually do your oral defense of the dissertation or document or lecture recitals. Uh, so you have to pass those. Although most DMA students will typically finish in three to four years, students must pass the comprehensive exam within five years. And then, of course, all the remaining requirements for the degree must be completed within eight years. Again, I just, you know, encourage all of you to look at the graduate handbook. A lot of this information that we've talked about is there, except for this nitty-gritty of what to expect from the exam. So it's been great to have you here to explain that. So in closing, uh, students, if you are eligible um, this semester, we are, we, we are taking uh, reservations for the exam that is on Saturday, December 1st. 2018. The registration deadline is October 29th at 5 p.m. and that's a real firm deadline, okay? If it's 5.30, you're not registered. So we really have to have the time to prepare the exam for you. Susan, can I add something? Absolutely. Um, I, just to reiterate this and, and, and what Susan's saying right now is really important. If you show up for the comp exam 
and you are not registered, you will not be allowed to take the exam. I cannot put it any more directly than that. You will not be allowed to take the exam if you are not registered. And when you send in your registration, I take the time to make sure that you are actually eligible, that you've taken the courses, the theory courses that are on your guidance committee report, that you've taken the history courses, and you've had, have had enough of them depending on your situation. So we really, it is a eligible. That's why when I send a response, I right. say you are eligible and registered. Yeah. So which tells me that you're eligible and that you are registered. If you don't get that confirmation email, you're not registered. Yeah, yeah. We spend a lot of time on this very thing right here of making sure that people are, are in fact eligible for the exam. And, and so, so, you know, be assured that on the front end of this, you know, we, we are doing the work that is necessary for you to be able to come take the exam. Yes. And I had one other thing I forgot Absolutely. to say earlier. So you had mentioned before that a student could attempt just the theory exam or just the musicology exam on a given day. Even if the student's only eligible to do one, to, to do that and then wait until they're eligible to do the other. If, if a student passes the musicology exam but not the theory exam on a given date, they don't need to retake the musicology exam. We get this question a lot. They're modular now. Don't talk to people yeah. who have been here a while because yeah. the rumor right. mill's yes. wrong. This yes. is different from what it used to be. Yeah, it Likewise, used to be that way. If they pass the theory exam, but not the musicology exam, only the musicology exam needs to be retaken now. However, one question that I get a lot is if a student passes one theory question, but not the other, the question that comes up a lot is, do I have to take two theory questions next time or one? The answer is you have to pass the entire theory exam on the same date, which means pass two questions on a given date. That, that's a moot point of musicology because you only need to, to actually pass one question. Right. So if you pass one question, you pass. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Um, and then if you need to register, you send me your name, your PID number, when you started your degree, the courses and instructors you took, and then, like I said, I will review your eligibility and then send you a confirmation email. Um, we also send out a little sheet that it kind of explains how to prepare and what to expect, too. But should you want more information regarding comprehensive exams, you can find information on page 18 of the 2018-19 Graduate Handbook. This handbook is available online on the College of Music web website under For Graduate Students. So um, feel free to read that at your leisure. Um, but I do want to thank you so much, Professor Callahan and Professor Prouty. I think that kind of talking through this and getting all these things out is going to be very helpful for our students. So um, my hope is that the scoop will broadcast about once a month. So be sure to stay tuned for further episodes. And we, like we said, we hope this will be helpful to you during your graduate studies and certainly welcome your questions and feedback. Until next time. <laughs>